Welcome to the Teens Talk podcast created by the Student Virtual Board of You Celebrate Diversity. You Celebrate Diversity supports students and teachers organizing locally, educating themselves and their peers, and taking action for inclusion and social justice. For more information, visit ycdiversity.org. Welcome back to season two, which is all about community building. Today joined with me is Dr. Katie Randall, Chief Development and Communications Officer at the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Teens Talk. Um, this is season, again, is about community building. Um, and today's focus is actually about homelessness and the impact it can have on community and that communities can have on it. Um, today joined with me is Dr. Randall from the Boulder Homeless Shelter. Um, she's gonna be talking more about her work and um, homelessness in general around um, Boulder specifically, but we might also touch on other cities in um, Colorado. Um, my name is Lamise McCowie. Um, I'm gonna be the host um, for this episode again and we're just going to jump right into it so um, if you're new here community is the backbone of culture the right community provides you with much needed love and support everyone needs community and it can look different all over the world the important thing is building a community with the right intention as well as understanding the possible obstacles you could face um, so she has already a lovely um, presentation that I actually had, um, you know, the privilege of being able to hear in my own cl um, class I thought would be great to bring here. Um, so without further ado, why don't you go ahead? <laughs> Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Lamise. Um, and like she said, my name is Dr. Katie Randall. I am the Chief Development and Communications Officer at the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless here in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and her professor for one of her sociology courses reached out um, to me and wondered if I could provide a presentation on homelessness and homeless services here in our community. And so I will be referring to a presentation that I um, had previously, um, but I believe these slides and this PDF will be available um, for those who are interested later on. Um, but, okay, so first things first, um, I'm going to briefly introduce the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless, then touch on our vision and mission here as an organization, then dive into homeless services, um, aka what we do, homeless homelessness 101, um, because I understand there's a lot of um, just lack of awareness and ignorance um, about homelessness and those individuals who are experiencing homelessness. Um, and then I'm gonna chat a little bit about homeless solutions and provide some contact information um, for myself and the organization if anyone has any questions that would like to follow up. So with... Formed in the winter of 1982 as the Task Force on Shelter and Food for the Poor. I'm so um, sorry. Um, it, it froze like right when, just when you started. So if you could just go back. I'm so sorry <laughs> for you to start just basically what you said without for then you just started right there. I don't know what happened. Okay. No, no, no. Um, it's okay. Um, the internet can go in and out up here. And I know, I don't know if you're in Boulder right now, but it, the weather's kind of weird today. Oh yeah, no, I'm not in Boulder, but I did hear about it. So, okay, if, th if that happens, okay. I'll just like try to let you know because I just didn't want to interrupt all the time, but yeah. No, 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 you're good. Um, So table of contents or just like right in? Um, just right as when you're, you're getting back into it, you just like covered everything you were going to cover. Okay, perfect. Alrighty, and so without much further ado, <laughs> um, I will just dive in um, and tell you a little bit about the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless. So we were founded in the winter of 1982 um, in response to the death of a local um, uh, Vietnam War veteran who had been experiencing homelessness um, that winter. He died from exposure and um, a group of concerned citizens um, said that that was absolutely unacceptable in this community and they decided to do something about it. And as a response, they formed the Task Force for Shelter and Food for the Poor, um, which was ultimately the precursor to the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless. Um, and um, since we are recording this in March of 2023, we recently just celebrated our 40th anniversary. Um, so we have come a very, very long way as an organization, both in size and in the services and programs that we provide for our clients um, in the 40 years that we have been in existence. And as a result, we are now the largest provider of homeless services in Boulder County, Colorado. Um, and it's really 
really important to us that we aren't just trying to slap a Band-Aid on the issue or deal with it piecemeal. Um, we, as an organization, are just driven to affect the most change as possible. And as a result, over those 40 years, this has meant that we have realigned our mission to be a housing first or housing focused mission. Um, now, housing first, for those of you who might be familiar with this terminology, um, is a philosophy or an approach to homeless services and homeless assistance that prioritizes breaking the cycle of homelessness by providing a stable address and a place to live. In short, it focuses any available assistance and intervention that leads to ending someone's episode of homelessness. Um, and really quickly, before I continue talking about that philosophy, um, you'll notice throughout the presentation that I really strive to use people first language um, because homelessness is not an, an adjective for someone. Um, it is a period of time, it's an episode of being unhoused that a person goes through. Um, so that is one part of this presentation that might stand out to folks and I just wanna put that out there. But um, continuing along with Housing First, um, there are a lot of organizations that are work for work first, excuse me, um, that um, make their um, clients uh, be sober before they can access services or resources, um, or even make folks adhere to some kind of religious belief or specific ideological dogma. We do not have any of those stipulations here at the Boulder Shelter. We are what we like to call a low barrier service provider. And what that means is that anyone who needs homeless services, um, so immediate emergency overnight shelter, um, as long as they agree not to be a threat to themselves or others while they are here, they are more than welcome to come and utilize our services. And so that's what it means to be a low barrier um, model for homeless services. And for us, it's really important because, again, circling back to housing first, um, more people um, can effectively change the trajectory of their lives from a stable foundation. And that stable foundation is housing. So again, we don't require folks to be sober. We don't require them to be employed or adhere to a specific belief system. Um, we just try to provide them any and all resources that lead to a stable place to live. Because um, Housing First is actually the only data-driven, effective way to deal with homelessness because people can more reliably deal with other obstacles in their lives from the safety and security of a home. So people can more effectively um, find jobs and work on unemployment. They can more effectively deal with any physical or, or mental health concerns that they might be dealing with. They can more effectively work on their relationships with substances if they're going through a period of substance abuse once they have a stable place to live. And so for that reason, that is why um, we have work to create avenues of stable housing for the adults in Boulder County, or excuse me, in the Boulder County community who are experiencing homelessness. Um, again, that is our mission. And it really aligns with our vision to make homelessness rare in, and brief in Boulder County and to serve as a thought leader for other homeless services providers across the Front Range and Denver metropolitan area. Um, so Boulder, Colorado, um, for those of you who aren't familiar, is a small to medium sized town in the Northern Front Range of Colorado. And we are just Northwest of the Denver community and we are part of the larger um, conglomerate of the Denver metropolitan area. So we do work quite closely with other homeless services providers um, in the Denver metropolitan area, just to make sure that we are all aligning our services um, to help the most people that we can and not to make sure that we're duplicating any services unnecessarily. And so again, that's a great segue into our work, our homeless services. Um, so as a housing focused shelter, um, that's kind of our first thing that we do. So there are two aspects to homeless services. One is handling and addressing immediate needs. And that oftentimes comes in the form of emergency overnight shelter. So for folks who are experiencing homelessness on a day-to-day -day basis, they need somewhere, somewhere safe and secure to go in the evenings. And so that is our housing focused emergency overnight shelter. Um, we have the capacity for 160 adults 
Um, and in our um, emergency overnight shelter, we um, provide dinner and breakfast for folks. We have different healthcare providers who on different days of the weeks who provide mental and physical healthcare services that our clients would not be able to receive otherwise. Um, our emergency overnight shelter also serves as a post office for folks. Um, kind of a catch 22. Um, if you are struggling with unemployment and you wanna apply for a job, you have to put an address in to apply for a job, which is kind of bullshit, but you know, that's the way the world works. Um, so we serve as a post office for folks. They can use this address um, to um, receive mail um, and we hold mail for them for up to two weeks for them to come and get it. Um, but if they don't receive it, we do have to send it back to USPS. Um, we also have showers and laundry facilities for folks uh, to use while they're here, along with lockers and storage. Um, so really we try to provide um, as many resources as we can without um, over committing ourselves, because we do try to streamline the resources that we do have in order to affect as many exits from homelessness as possible. And so again, the short term um, aspect of homeless services is that emergency overnight shelter. Um, and then the second kind of component of homeless services is actually creating exits from homelessness or housing exits as we like to call them. And so what that means is we work from the second people walk through our doors every evening at five o'clock. Um, our program staff and our case managers are reaching out to folks to say, hey, what do you need to get housed? And a lot of times folks are like, oh my goodness, each person experiencing homelessness is so unique and, it, and, and they're so... Um, they have so many different experiences that make homelessness unique to that person. And while that is true, when people ask me for the defining characteristic that overwhelmingly defines or describes our clients, I say that they are all experiencing homelessness because they are. Um, and so our program staff and our case managers work with them to get them government issued IDs, um, to sign them up for benefits from Veterans Affairs, the VA, or Social Security. Um, and a lot of times our clients work through the Department of Housing and Urban Development um, for rental assistance. And so there are a couple of different components to helping folks uh, achieve and maintain their housing. And that is um, finding folks a housing unit, a place to live, and then helping them maintain their ability to um, pay their rent and honor their lease. And so um, we work with the Department of Housing and Urban Development, like I said, both at the federal and the local state levels to make sure that our clients um, uh, have access to the housing vouchers and rental assistance vouchers that help them maintain their housing. And so um, case management support is sort of the second aspect um, of our housing focused shelter. Um, and again, these case managers work with folks um, and connect them with housing resources, counseling and medical care to again, overcome any obstacles that they might be dealing with um, on their journey to permanent sustainable housing. And then another aspect about um, the shelter that most people don't really, um, aren't really aware of or don't understand is that we provide permanent supportive housing. And so for a lot of clients and a lot of individuals experiencing homelessness, these are folks who are dealing with a, a plethora of obstacles and issues in their lives that inhibit them from being able to successfully, successfully live independently. And so permanent supportive housing is a program that we have and we're extremely proud of. Um, we are currently supporting around 140 individuals in their own housing units through um, case managers. And so these are individuals who are not dissimilar from social workers. They go in and they provide 24 seven wraparound support to our clients. And so each of these clients um, has a different, um, let's see, intersection of issues that they might be dealing with. Um, some have mental health concerns, others have severe physical health concerns um, and they need round the clock support. Um, other folks are dealing with um, a lot of sustained trauma and others are just battling with substance abuse. And they really need that 24 seven care and support 
um, that our caseworkers provide. And so, um, like I said, we provide um, permanent supportive housing for about 140 of our clients, um, in addition to the 160 people that we support in our emergency overnight shelter. And so at the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless, um, we actually have a permanent um, supportive housing facility. It's called Lee Hill. And these are all um, apartment units that are above a first floor. And on that first floor, it's kind of like the, uh, the hub for our, our case workers and our case managers. And they um, are all centrally located. And it's been really, really incredible because all of the clients that we support in permanent supportive housing um, are what we call really high utilizers. These are folks that have been in and out of the criminal justice system. These are folks that um, are frequently in and out of the emergency room department and our local um, hospitals. Um, and they just really, really have high acuity of need. And so through permanent supportive housing, we have significantly <laughs> decreased the cost that these folks are accruing um, on taxpayers here locally. And so um, we recently just had a program um, with Boulder Community Health, one of the local hospitals, and um, folks that were racking up, say around $3 million in costs from high utilization of emergency room services, we housed them through our permanent supportive housing program. And those costs dropped from 3 million to, I wanna say about 1.2 million. And so um, if we do need exact numbers on that, I'm happy to do that. Um, there's somewhere deep in my inbox. Um, but that just goes to show that while people might be saying, oh, well, you know, housing someone is so expensive. Well, you know what, it is expensive, but it's way more expensive to have someone be experiencing homelessness on the street, frequently engaging our first responders, both police and emergency AMR ambulatory care. Um, that is so incredibly expensive in our community. And we want to not only support those who need the most help, but also make our community more affordable for everyone who lives here. And so that's just a little bit about our homeless services that we provide here. Um, and now I'm gonna dive in a little bit to Homelessness 101. And so, like I mentioned earlier in my introduction, um, there's a lot of myths around homelessness and the folks who experience homelessness. Um, and I'm happy to provide additional resources um, and guides, but um, all of the data that I'm going to be going over um, can be found on the annual reports for a couple of our partner agencies. And so that is the Metropolitan Denver Homelessness Initiative or MDHI um, and the Homeless Solutions for Boulder County, so HSBC. Um, those are two of our, our really big partners here in the community. Um, and all of the data, like I said, um, comes from their annual report. So um, just really quickly diving in, 15% um, in 2021, 15% of individuals who were experiencing homelessness reported that they were actively fleeing from a domestic violence situation. And so one thing that I would like to um, dive into quite briefly is that um, there are a number of different homeless service providers in the Boulder County community. Um, I'm very happy to say um, that in the 40 years that the Boulder Shelter has been in existence, a number of other organizations have also come along. And like I mentioned before, we also don't try to duplicate services because we are operating um, in a funding scarce environment. And so we wanna make sure that we are using the funding that we have effectively and efficiently as possible to help the most people who need the most support. And so um, whenever uh, we have someone who is under the age of 18 who comes to the shelter seeking our services, um, we are actually um, an adult only population. And so what that means is folks who are 21, 22 and older, um, those are our primary demographics. Um, we work closely, however, with the youth homeless shelter here in Boulder County and that is together. Um, and anytime someone who is a youth or looks under the age of 18, 21, we really, um, we immediately call up together and say, hey, we have someone who needs your services and we make sure that that person is taken care of before um, moving on to our next client. And, and the same can be said for um, women and families. Um, so we work very closely with SPAN um, the um, and Mother House, excuse me, that <laughs> just totally went out of my head. Um, those are two shelter and emergency service providers here in Boulder County that work um, directly with um, individuals fleeing situations of domestic violence and, and women and mothers and with children. 
And so we really try to, um, again, not duplicate services and make sure that folks are going to the right service providers to get the care that they need. Um, and that's really, really important to us because um, folks might be like, well, why can't you just take everybody in? And homeless shelters um, can be a very tense environment because of all of the trauma and all of the stress that people are bringing into these environments. And so a homeless shelter for adults is run by staff who are trained in trauma-informed care responses for adults. Our staff are not trained on how to help um, children or women with children. And so we always direct them to service providers who do have that training, who do have that kind of support that they can offer. Um, and um, another, um, another kind of interesting number that we have here is that 8% of individuals um, experiencing homelessness reported that they were a service veteran. Um, so one thing that the, I'm going to say the last three presidential administrations have been doing um, with bipartisan levels of support, which is kind of impressive <laughs> given the state of the country these days, um, is that there's been a huge initiative to work to end veteran homelessness in this country. Um, and so um, even though we have 8% of our individuals um, reported experiencing homelessness, um, across the country overall, veteran homelessness has gone down, I wanna say uh, around 50%. Um, again, don't quote me on that. Um, I'm happy to pull up that number for you. Um, but it's really, really incredible um, how um, the VA has stepped up and really just changed the game for service veterans who have been experiencing homelessness. And um, another interesting sort of component of our clients is that 78% of individuals reported having at least one disabling condition that impacts their ability to live independently. So like I was talking about permanent supportive housing, permanent supportive care previously, um, we understand that um, folks who are experiencing homelessness um, might have fallen into homelessness because they have an obstacle in their life that they are struggling to deal with on their own and that impedes them from being able to maintain independent living. Um, that obstacle is already extremely difficult for that individual to deal with and that only becomes more exacerbated when they are trying to survive on the streets unhoused. Um, something that folks don't frequently really understand is that um, is the myth of substance abuse. Um, so um, a lot of ignorant people say, well, that person's just addicted to, to meth and that's why they're homeless. Um, that is so far from the case. Um, the vast majority of people who are experiencing homelessness and have a substance abuse problem have only had that problem develop once they fell into homelessness. The vast majority of people who use and abuse drugs have homes. <laughs> um, and because there are so many very, very dangerous and very, very serious um, substances on the streets, um, like meth and trank and fentanyl, um, once our clients fall into homelessness, they are then exposed to that. And the sheer trauma and exhaustion of trying to survive on a day-to-day -day basis they want an escape from that. They want to numb that. And so when they have exposure to these kinds of substances, that frequently is where substance abuse gets introduced um, in the cycle of homelessness. Another aspect um, that we hear um, a lot around the Boulder community, um, but frequently across the wor uh, world in the in this country, excuse me, um, is that, well, if they wanted a house, they could just get it. People want to be homeless. Um, People do not want to be homeless. Homelessness sucks. I cannot emphasize this enough. It is horrific on so many different levels. But of the percentage of people who are experiencing homelessness, less than 1% deliberately choose a transient unhoused lifestyle. And I want to reiterate that. Less than 1% of the population of people experiencing homelessness deliberately choose a transient unhoused lifestyle. That means the overwhelming, the 99.9% .9 of the other individuals experiencing homelessness do not wanna be homeless. Again, it is an extremely, extremely difficult way to live. And actually the average age um, that someone passes away um, when they have been experiencing chronic, chronic homelessness is 56. That is how hard homelessness is 
on the human psyche and the human body. And so that's just something to keep in mind. Um, just a couple of MythBuster moments. Um, if you ever just have a conversation about homelessness with someone. Um, and so kind of diving back into that, um, Boulder County is a predominantly white community. Um, and unlike other um, areas with homeless shelters, um, the demographic of our clients reflects that. Um, so the average individual experiencing homelessness in Boulder County identifies as a 42-year-old 42 42 white non-Latina male. However, um, with that in mind, um, we do see a number of of women, of transgender and non-binary individuals who seek our services. And as a result, excuse me, um, we have dormitories for those individuals um, at our shelter specifically, um, since overwhelmingly the primary demographic that we serve is men or male identifying. Um, that means the largest dormitories that we have are for men and male identifying individuals. However, for folks who are transgender, non-binary, and for women, they all have separate dormitories with their own enclosed bathrooms because we wanna make sure that we're promoting a safe and secure environment for everyone who seeks our services at the shelter. That's incredibly important to us here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and so in 2022, another really interesting statistic is that 91% of our beds were used. Um, and so, like I said, we have uh, 160 beds available every single night. Um, and that number is simply the number that's our capacity that the fire marshal came in, did whatever magical math they do on how many people you can fit in square footage, I guess. Um, and 160 is the number that they arrived at. Um, however, in Boulder County, Colorado, um, we do have um, pretty severe winters here. Um, Folks do enjoy winter sports, um, but when you're trying to survive on the streets, it can be extremely difficult. And so um, we, <clears throat> excuse me, have critical weather criteria. <clears throat> and so what that means is that um, during the winter season or severe weather season, as we call it here, um, we have actually negotiated with the fire marshal to increase our capacity to 180 on days when we have critical weather. And so critical weather in Boulder County looks like um, six inches of snow or more. Um, 20 degrees or below during the day or 10 degrees below or 10 degrees or below during the night. Um, extremely high winds. Um, in 2021, we had the Marshall Fire in December. It was, um, it was started, ignited by a windstorm. And so as a result, we have taken um, extremely high wind gusts of 70 miles per hour or more into our critical weather criteria because we don't want folks um, at the mercy of the elements when something like that is happening. And so those are our critical weather criteria. And so we do open for emergency shelter during those times. Um, and the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless is actually, we are only open for services um, in the at night. Um, so we're an overnight shelter. Um, and so that means we open at 5 p.m. and folks um, have to leave by 8 a.m. Um, and so when we do have emergency or critical weather, um, we will open for emergency day shelter, or emergency night shelter. Um, we're not going to try and force people to be out there in the most extreme of conditions. Um, and so um, another number that we're pretty, pretty proud of, um, and this kind of takes us into our next point, is that um, as a housing focused shelter, um, like I was saying, we leverage all of our resources, all of our services, all of our staff to affect as many exits from how homelessness as possible. And so a housing exit for us is a really happy story. It's a happy ending. Um, that means this person exited homelessness and has a home, like has a place that they can call home, a home of their own. And in 2022, I'm very proud to say that we had 90 housing exits. Um, we keep data for each year um, since Ooh, 2017, when we officially transitioned into a housing first or housing focused organization. Um, but since 1996, um, we have housed over 1,200 individuals. Um, and so that's something that's really, really amazing for us that keeps us going. Um, and a lot of folks um, will try to kind of crash that party for us by saying, well, if you've housed so many people, then why are there still so many um, homeless individuals? in the town. And that's because homelessness has been on the rise in the last three years. Um, so while as an organization, we might be housing more individuals than ever before, 
there are also more individuals than ever before who are experiencing homelessness, not only in our community, but across the entire country. And so um, that um, kind of goes into um, our housing exits. Um, and these are permanent housing solutions, happy endings, however you'd like to think of them. Um, and I'll just share a couple of them really quickly. Um, and I do wanna say for the record um, that the names of the individuals and some of these details have been anonymized because we, um, we take protecting our clients' um, confidentiality extremely seriously. We don't want anyone to, um, to be at risk of um, anyone trying to track them down or anyone um, just becoming famous and having their story warped or misinterpreted. Um, but we do have a couple of stories that I can share with you. So Mara came to Colorado fleeing a situation of produced severe domestic violence. Um, she, had to um, she had to leave many of her belongings behind. Um, and as a result, she arrived here with minimal financial assets. Um, she had previously engaged with a number of domestic violence oriented shelters and resources, um, but none of them unfortunately were able to provide her enough support to successfully resolve her episode of homelessness. Um, and after using up the allotted shelter nights that those domestic violence agencies could provide, um, Mara reached out to us here at the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless. And through um, staying at the emergency overnight shelter and using the services that our case management support team provided, um, Mara was entered into the um, housing or Department of Housing and Urban Development's um, Section 8 um, housing lottery. And her name came up. She got a, a housing voucher and she found a landlord um, through working with our landlord specialist who was willing to uh, rent their property to her and accept her housing voucher. And so um, she is so excited to be in her own home um, and just really, really start being able to rebuild her life. Um, another housing exit that we had um, this past winter um, is from George. Um, so George first came to the shelter in 2015 um, and it was his first time experiencing homelessness. Um, he, uh, he stayed at the shelter from 2015 onward. And he's what we um, at the shelter call a long stayer. Um, he stayed approximately 2,100 nights at the shelter. Um, that's, that's a really, really long time. Um, and at first he was resistant uh, to housing, just very not interested in it for a number of different reasons. But as his health began deteriorating, um, he had some pretty severe medical issues that began to arise. And he finally agreed that um, housing would create a place for him to really address his uh, medical issues and to be able to receive consistent care and treatment for them. Um, and this past winter, an opening came up at a senior housing community and he finally agreed to accept that. And so now um, I've been told that his health is doing a bit better, um, but he has a number of issues that he's working on. And so um, that's, that again, is a happy ending for us. Um, and third and finally, we have Brent. Um, so Brent uh, had worked and lived in the city of Boulder for roughly 30 years. Um, however, um, a series of um, debilitating medical issues, he was diagnosed with a number of neurological conditions. Um, Brent was unable to maintain his job in the IT field. Um, and once he lost his job, his housing followed quickly after. And then he reached out to the shelter for support. Um, he stayed at the Boulder Shelter for roughly about a year, and within that time, he was able to work with our case management to get him on the housing track, but also to work with our the healthcare partners that we work with um, to schedule a number of different procedures and tests um, that really helped him maintain um, and gain control over his neurological health. Um, and so... Once again, um, we got him set up with a housing lottery and um, he was able to find his own housing unit um, here in Boulder County. And um, now that he is safely and securely housed and he's able to um, have his health care under control, he now volunteers in the IT field, um, which was his passion for all those years. And so, like I said, um, each individual has unique circumstances and a unique set of obstacles um, that they have to overcome in order to get back to secure 
um, housing, secure permanent housing. Um, but the overwhelming characteristic is that they are all experiencing homelessness. And so um, our case managers and our support staff work with folks to find um, that unique set of, um, I guess, sort of levers and pulleys um, that we have to work in order to provide services to people. And so with that, um, I'll just wrap up. Um, if you have any questions or comments or are just really in interested further in homelessness and homeless services here, um, please reach out. Our social media handle is at Boulder Shelter. Um, our phone number is 303-468-4312. And you can find us through our email at development, D-E-V-E-L-O-P-M-E-N-T at bouldershelter.org. Um, you can also find us on the web at bouldershelter.org. Um, but yeah, um, please uh, ask questions. I love to answer anything that you have or follow up on anything that I didn't address before. Thank you so much. That was honestly an amazing presentation. And when I first heard it, I was just, I was genuinely like really moved to want to actually do more because I remember you actually mentioned this while um, we were in the class, but you said, you know, you could like give some, um, um, a homeless person on the street, like a dollar to feel better, but like what really requires, you know, it requires more community and it requires more work um, from multiple people to actually get something done. Um, and everything, I wanted to let you get all of that out because you hit so many important points that I don't think um, a lot of people know like even me when I was doing some more research about homelessness in Colorado and just the the nation in general um there's just like a lot of things that come up that I actually wanted to ask you about because I feel like as somebody who is actually working in it and not just you know doing the research um you might have a better um I guess have better insight on it um but uh some of the things you hit I because I mentioned I also jotted down some things so one thing I wanted to ask about before we get more into what you covered I also have been really like um curious to understand how, and I, I mean, I, I was able to answer it more for myself later on, but I also want other people to know that this is happening, just be aware of it. The fact that you can be arrested for being homeless um, in certain areas um, in, the, in the country. Um, I know uh, for Denver, it was a really big problem because I'm from like Denver and Aurora, uh, both those cities. Mm -hmm. So I know a bit more about that. Um, and obviously, if you don't know every stat of every city, that totally makes sense. So you might only know what's um, specific to Boulder. But if you have like any more insight about that, I'd love to know just how, first of all, like, comes about and just the kind of like thinking I guess politicians or lawmakers um, have when it comes to just arresting someone for simply not being housed um, and maybe just some of the ways that we could combat that whether it's through voting or through you know any kind of way um, to kind of just make this not a reality for certain people um, I would love to know so if you had any insight on that that would be great absolutely um wow there's a lot there I'm gonna try <laughs> and boil it down a bit um so um, Boulder City, or the city of Boulder rather, um, is one of many cities across the United States that has a camping ban. Um, and so what that means is that folks are not allowed to provide any sort of shelter for themselves more than a blanket um, if they are camping um, in a public space. Um, this camping ban is currently um, under suit by the ACLU. And I would just like to say as a representative of the Boulder Shelter, um, we do not support the criminalization of homelessness um, because that's what it does. A camping ban doesn't end someone's homelessness um, and it doesn't do anything to provide services for them. You just criminalize the act of someone being unhoused. Um, and again, the Boulder Shelter for the Homeless does not support the criminalization of homelessness. And we, yeah, um, as a person speaking for myself, um, I would say that absolutely it is complete bullshit. Um, but again, that is my personal opinion and belief and is no way representative of the Boulder shelter. But um, like I said, the city of Boulder does have a camping ban in place. And um, the reason this came about is because, or at least part of the reason this came about um, is that um, Boulder Creek Path um, and the parks in Boulder um, are especially lovely places. Um, and the Boulder community is a relatively active one and they like to make use of those areas. However, there are a number of homeless encampments in those areas. And um, that area is also fairly close to one of the local schools and parents in the community were concerned um, about um, children's interactions with our clients. 
And so um, there are a number of outreach programs and initiatives. Um, the Boulder Shelter has one, it's called Be There. Um, and we go out to encampments and we try to provide services for people that don't come to the shelter to seek services. Um, and so um, Boulder is concerned about its population of individuals experiencing homelessness. Um, it is concerned um, about um, the drug usage that is in these encampments, um, any criminality that might be going on in these encampments. And one thing that I would just like to put out there is that the folks in these encampments are experiencing just as much trauma, if not more, than um, housed citizens of Boulder who might walk past them or interact with them. And so um, it's a really frustrating point of tension in our community. Um, however, we are working very closely with um, a number of different service providers and government agencies here in Boulder to try and reach as many folks in encampments as possible to provide services um, to connect them to housing. Um, and so, um, like I said, encampments are across the country. Homelessness has been on the rise and criminalizing homelessness isn't going to make it go away. Housing does. <laughs> um, it's I know it might seem trite or redundant or simple, but housing ends homelessness. Um, arresting someone does not end their episode of homelessness. Um, they might be um, in jail overnight or for a couple of days, or they might be incarcerated for a longer period of time, but at some point they will exit the criminal justice system and they exit right back into homelessness that didn't actually solve the problem. And um, so that is one thing that we are, are struggling to deal with here in Boulder. Another aspect of that is um, that um, Boulder is a very um, affluent community. Um, it's also a really incredible community um, that is really focused on creating solutions. And that right there, so solutions, affluent, and community. Um, homelessness is a systemic problem, not only across the country, but across the world. And simply because of the capitalism, capitalistic systems that we have in place, our institutions, um, so many people fall into homelessness. Um, and so as a result, one community can't just find one way to solve it. Um, we have to come together as an entire community, not just as a couple of individuals here and there. Um, and I think um, a student asked me, um, well, should we give money to folks if, if we see them on the street asking for money? Um, and my response was, if that's something that you feel comfortable doing, then do it. However, to actually really affect change and to end someone's homelessness, not only that individual that you saw, but the entire community of unhoused individuals here in Boulder County is to come together as a community to affect change for affordable housing, to affect change for more housing. Um, Boulder is a community where housing is not only extremely expensive, but very scarce. Um, I have been in the Boulder community for, oh goodness, what year is it, 2023? <laughs> um, I've been in the Boulder community since 2015. Um, I came here as a graduate student. I went to the university here um, and I no longer live in this community because I cannot afford to. Um, and I have um, a great um, community support network, but I still have to commute in every single day. And like so many other individuals in the surrounding communities. Um, and so the housing that we do have, it is extremely expensive. And so that in itself is prohibitive. And then we don't have that much housing available, much less affordable housing. And so if we could come together as a community, as a group of people saying, hey, there don't need to be individuals experiencing homelessness in Boulder County. This is absolutely absurd. We have to come together to affect change and say, hey, what do we need to do to create more housing solutions here in Boulder? And what do we need to do to say, hey, of those housing solutions, it, a lot of these, I don't know how many, the majority, most, all, who knows, but some of them have to be affordable um, because um, folks simply just can't afford um, to live in Boulder. And um, 
I know in the last several years between COVID and our economic instability, um, the gap between fixed income individuals and the cost of living has increased dramatically. Um, just the rise in cost of living has really put the pressure on folks who were living paycheck to paycheck, who um, due to COVID lost their employment, um, who are just struggling financially. And we have to come together to make housing affordable for people so that they can regain control and security in their lives. That is one of the most fundamental aspects to this that's important to keep in mind. And so I hope that answered some of your questions. <laughs> I'm happy to dive into more detail on a few things. No, you provided a lot of information. Um, I I like that you touched on, you know, because Boulder, it might be just Boulder, but this that city can represent all types of cities around the world. Um, because me personally, who who currently lives in Boulder, but like didn't come from here, um, or there at least because I'm not there right now. Um, it is really stressful housing, even like, and I, I would never compare my situation to a person who's actually you know experiencing homelessness. But um, just as a student, trying to find housing is a whole other game, and it's so stressful. And that's even we have to build our own communities by finding roommates and multiple roommates to be like, okay, let's find a place that we can all stay because this is insane. Like, I mm -hmm. I really like that you touched on that and. I feel like a lot of people don't realize um, also uh, the fact that if you were to 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 arrest every person for being homeless, they're not going to trust other people to help them anymore because now they're going to go through the system. They're going to have that on their record. That's going to prevent them from finding jobs and, you know, really securing housing. And now they're just going to feel hopeless. And I feel like that's um, one of the biggest reasons I feel like we shouldn't be um, arresting people for not being housed, especially since the economy is just everything past COVID and even before, if we're being honest, but especially past COVID, like you said, has just, I think, really um, worsened already big problems. I don't really know how else to put it. Like, I, I feel like personally, I I agree with the fact that giving somebody $5 on the side of road isn't going to do much. And that back to that point, when you say come together as community, that it will affect more change in these areas, could you maybe just like break down some like specific, you know, examples of how somebody could do that with other people? Like basically just like in community building, like, okay, you find a group of people, um, let's say you want to like affect change for one of the things you talked about, specifically, what could they do to really make that like, I guess some of the like stepping uh, stones or blocks that they could do to get to, um, to that goal? Absolutely. Um, so one of the great things about community building is that you don't have to build it from scratch. Um, so in your local areas and your local communities, um, I would say do a little digging, see if there is a homeless services provider that's already, um, working to, to, um, affect change with, goodness, <laughs> I'm all tongue tied now, um, to affect change with individuals experiencing homelessness, because that way you don't have to start from like absolutely zero. And so get involved with those organizations, see um, how you as an individual have a certain skill set and experience and perspective that can help forward that trajectory. Um, but I would say get involved with organizations if there isn't an organization or some kind of community that's already trying to um, um, put the spotlight on homelessness or provide homeless services, you can start one. <laughs> Um, I know that sounds daunting and terrifying, but especially if you're Gen Z, quite frankly, y'all are daunting and terrifying and y'all can affect change like nobody's business. Join together with roommates, with friends, with families um, to form a community that provides services. Um, of course, make sure that um, you're doing so safely and well-informed um, with providers who are trained to um, do our provide certain services and care. Um, but we are all a resource together. And so also um, becoming aware of ballot initiatives and whatever is um, coming forward, um, not only at the state level and the federal level, but at the local level. Um, because like I said, homelessness is a systemic issue and we don't have like the federal department on homelessness that doesn't exist unfortunately um like like i said we do work closely with the department of housing and urban development um but that department is just an umbrella for so many other services and programs um and one of the reasons why the va was so able to effectively um change the number of veterans experiencing homelessness is because it's one organization dedicated to service veterans and so since we don't have an organization like that at the federal level, um, 
that means that all of the folks um, who are trying to change homelessness are doing so from a grassroots point of view. And so it's always at the local, it's always at the state level. So like I'm saying, get involved at the local level, um, see what your city council is talking about in regards to homelessness. See if there are round tables, see if there are open houses, um, see if there are forums, debates, um, figure out what kind of legislature is or legislation is on um, ballots, what kind of legislation is being proposed. If it is trying to criminalize homelessness, just to make it go away, to make parks better for farmers markets or something. Um, again, that's not actually solving the problem. Um, see if they're actually solution oriented and not just criminalizing stuff. And then if you don't see any kind of language or legislation like that, you can you can put some forward. Like again, I Gen Z is incredible, but also millennials and Gen X and everybody else. Um, we can all come together to make change ourselves. And so get involved with city council, your local representatives. Um, Jonah Goose is an incredible representative here um, in Boulder County. He's a phenomenal human being. And um, just get in touch. Um, I'm, I'm sure folks have done letter writing campaigns and have called offices of their elected officials. Um, but getting involved in that way from a group community level to really increase that pressure to affect change. Um, another way is to get um, um, yourself or a group of friends involved in volunteering. Um, pretty much every um, homeless service provider needs volunteers in some form or fashion. <laughs> and I can tell you right off the bat that the Boulder Shelter um, in um, the month of February alone, we had um, 400 volunteer service hours. Um, and those folks are helping us um, prepare and serve our meals, um, providing care to clients and dorm supply. Like they're the folks giving them laundry detergents to do their laundry, passing over their mail from the PO box, that kind of stuff. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And so if you really, really want to affect change, talk to your friends about this, talk to your families, say, well, do you have any experience with this? Another part of that is talking about the stigma. There are so many stigmatized um, experiences and identities in our society, which that is a whole nother conversation and I would love to get on my soapbox about it. Um, but there are so many people who have experienced homelessness that don't wanna talk about it because not only was it a traumatic experience for them, but there's so much shame associated with that that is completely unnecessary. And that's just for folks who experience homelessness. That's not even touching on folks who are housing insecure. There have been moments in my life where I have been housing insecure. And because I had the relationships and resources, I was able to stay housed through that period of insecurity. Um, and at the end of the day, that is exactly what causes homelessness for our clients and for people everywhere. They don't have the personal relationships or the financial or community resources to stay housed. And so someone who is experiencing housing insecurity um, who, or who is um, unofficially, um, I use that with air quotes because there are official definitions for homelessness, um, but someone who is couch surfing, who is staying with family or friends because they have nowhere else to go. Um, those folks are experiencing homelessness, but technically we call them um, um, housing insecure. And so folks are very, can experience a lot of shame around that, can experience guilt around that. And there's no reason for that. Um, as a community, we can make sure that we provide support for those people to make sure that they have the resources they need to make sure that their housing is stable and secure. And so again, um, talking with folks, sharing experiences, again, only if you're comfortable, um, getting involved with a, an organization, um, getting involved politically, um, just spreading the word. Um, I know actually the New York Times just released um, an article on the point in time count um, or the pit count. That is the survey um, that is done every January to pretty much quantify um, the homeless population. Um, and it can go in far more detail than I can here. Um, but basically they go out on a night in January when it's miserably cold um, because the rough premises, if folks are in encampments, they're experiencing homelessness on a night in the middle of January when it's bitterly cold, 
Um, it's probably because they have nowhere else to go. And so that's kind of the, the rationale behind, okay, well, if they're experiencing homelessness on this night, then we can sort of provide an accurate number um, for um, more or less a homeless census. Um, but there are a number of sources that can give you more information on the pit count um, and different ways um, that folks are kind of um, getting to um, census numbers and census data on um, unhoused populations, um, as well as folks who um, are accessing homeless services um, and where um, those folks are going and what they're doing. And hopefully that was a little bit. Um, I'm happy to follow up with some other questions. No, that was amazing. Thank you. That was, you just right there shared like the countless ways we can do things because I think a conversation I recently had with a friend was just how, you know, life has gotten so, um, and I, I say this when I say like gotten, I don't, I don't mean to, you know, say, oh, life was so much better. And then the pandemic was the only thing that, <laughs> no, it was just something that really like made life harder. And I think mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we've noticed, at least in our generation is just that now, I, even though, you know, Gen Z is known for being kind of like a powerhouse and, you know, we get things done, whatever. There's also a lot of helplessness going on of like well what's the point like every everything what's what's a post gonna do what's a protest gonna do what's a whatever what is this that that the other gonna do and I think there is you know it's fair to kind of think of, of that in a way of like well honestly posting like a black square isn't gonna do anything but at the same time that doesn't mean that you shouldn't try anything because there are effective ways like the ways you just listed down like um I like that um and it, your entire presentation everything you're talking about is community it's community with your staff of helping your own community in the city and a community of people that are um stigmatized and um you know when you talked about that stigma I actually had a you know that kind of led me to another thing um I was wondering about um when thinking about helping people who are um, unable to be housed, I think people kind of come and think, that they're kind of scared to interact with them. Well, you know, and I, I'm not, for me personally, I know um, that for certain jobs and certain volunteer opportunities, you do need to be trained and, you know, like how to deal with this kind of person in this situation or um, a certain age group or a certain demographic of people. But um, is there like a, you know, maybe something you want to share with people that might have this fear of like, oh, well, I don't want to work in soup kitchens. Or I don't want to work in these certain areas because what if, you know, somebody attacks me or what if something, whatever, you know, just all these like different ideas that are put into people's head to kind of keep them away from, you know, just joining the the group effort um I, I I see the stigma with also just you know looking down on people who who aren't housed but I also want to really address that that stigma of oh they're dangerous they're automatically dangerous um because I think maybe if people start to understand that um you know these are just people like you who are just in a really difficult situation um you know maybe they might be more inclined to do something about it but there is also like you mentioned some people who have dealt with such um genuating circumstances that have kind of caused them to maybe not be as social as um, other people. So yeah, if you could just like hint on that a little bit, I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, my official um, advice is um, only interact with um, individuals if you feel comfortable doing so. Um, if say, for example, you wanna get involved in um, working to mitigate or solve homelessness, um, but you are um, scared or anxious about um, engaging with an individual on the street or going to an encampment, join up with an organization. Um, organizations have folks who are trained um, in social work, um, in um, handling trauma-informed responses with individuals, um, for um, working with um, law enforcement if a situation does exacerbate. And so um, these folks are trained, there are safety protocol and policies in place. And so that is a really, really great way to get some really um, firsthand experience while also maintaining um, a sense of security and safety for a person. Um, another thing is that living on the streets um, is an incredibly stressful, intense environment. And so folks um, have reactions that individuals who are housed might see as an overreaction or completely off the cuff or just dangerous or unacceptable. And much like any other trauma response, people have that response because it kept them safe before. And so please be very aware of that when you are engaging with individuals in the unhoused population. 
And um, again, only do so if you feel safe. And if you ever feel unsafe, immediately step back. Do not um, accelerate or exacerbate the situation and call 911. Um, and so there are a number of um, law enforcement organizations that have non-emergency police hotlines. And so that way it's like, hey, you know, um, someone seems to be in distress um, down by this encampment. Um, I don't know what they might need, but it just seems like they need help um, and you can reach out to that line. Um, but just really keep in mind, um, I'm not saying go out there with a sandwich and say, hey, how can I help you? But <laughs> but um, buddy system is really good. Um, I was like um, working as a team, as a group, you know, community is good for that very reason. Um, but also reach out to folks who do have this experience and say, what do you recommend? Um, what is best practice? Um, what is what is safe? Um, what is um, the best way to um, provide support for individuals who need it? Um, while also maintaining um, a boundary of safety and security for myself. Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, I think for some people who might also be socially anxious, that that's a very valid, you know, like um, kind of fear to have if they don't, you know, if they're not the best at like knowing what to say under pressure, they might, you know, want to do other types of work. Like if if that means like focusing on the on the government side and, you know, trying to make sure legislation, certain legislation gets passed and things like that. I totally um, like that you touched on that. And I also really wanted to kind of focus a bit more on the staff, like, you know, how this this does take a strong community. Like you said, they have to be trained. They have to be able to work in really, um you know, stressful conditions, especially whether it's because of a, of a weather, um uh you know, if, if, it, if it's extreme weather conditions or if it's, um, you know, an influx of people coming in at one time, um, how do you keep your staff, aka your community, like strong and reliable and able to do all these things? Because I don't think, like you mentioned, like I don't think the average person could do all that. It is it's a lot, you know, and it's really, it's something I personally really admire. So I wanted to just know a bit more about that. How do you guys kind of keep your, um, kind of keep standing and, you know, strong and still and just making sure you get things done um, in a calm manner, because that's also something I don't think I'd be able to do. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you kind of hit the nail on the head there. This, not, this work is not for everyone at all. It takes a very special kind of person to be program staff. Um, so I'm an administrator at this organization. I do not work directly face-to-face -face with clients. Um, our program staff are the real heroes. They are truly incredible human beings who every single day of the year, um, rain, snow, sleet, shine, they're there working with our clients every single day. Um, and it is just, it's really incredible. Um, it's also, it can also be a very traumatic job. Um, so um, like I talked a lot about um, obstacles that folks might be experiencing um, and certain trauma responses that they have to um, ex um, experiencing homelessness um, that while they might serve them on the streets are not appropriate for other environments like the shelter. And so we have a very strict set of safety guidelines and procedures um, that all of our staff have to adhere to. Um, it's always um, working in teams, calling for backup immediately, communicating effectively, and making sure that we're um, all communicating the same thing. Um, so we call it holding the line um, because folks um, might try to, um, it's kind of like a kid with two parents, you know, well, mom said no, but maybe dad will say yes. It's like, no, um, we're all saying the exact same thing. You're not going to get any special treatment, like everyone has to follow the rules and that's how we maintain safety. Um, but also um, a lot of folks um, who experience homelessness um, are dealing with some pretty severe mental health issues. And so, um, and also substance abuse. Um, we had someone a couple of months ago um, who overdosed on opioids and it took um, three applications of Narcan um, to bring them out. And so that was an incredibly traumatic experience for the program staff that saved that saved that pro person's life that evening. And so um, these folks are all trained when they come in in trauma-informed care responses. They are trained in um, CPR, AED, um, so the, the paddles, the automatic electronic defibrillator, um, the, um, and the use of Narcan, um, how to identify um, if someone's having a medical emergency, um, how to interact with someone who is coming off 
in a threatening manner. Um, like I mentioned, our pretty much our baseline at the shelter is you cannot stay here if you're being a threat to yourself or others. Um, and we have very strict rules about what um, threatening behavior or um, a, a verbal assault looks like here because it is so important to maintain a safe and secure environment for everyone here. So that is staff and the other clients who are using our, our services. And so um, everyone is trained on that and they are trained again and again and again. Um, we also have um, uh, mental health care partners come in and they provide um, just kind of refreshers on saying, hey, you know, this is what um, symptoms of a certain disorder might look like. Um, this is what certain substances look like. This is how um, they might show up. Um, if you're concerned about that, this is how to deal with that. Um, and then we also have folks come in and provide support for our program staff because this is an exhausting job. It is truly exhausting. And so we recently had um, a training and um, an open, open conversation about um, uh, the experience of our staff of color dealing with our clients um, because one of the verbal assaults that we have a uh, no tolerance for um, is the use of racial slurs um, that is considered um, an assault um, on someone and we have a zero tolerance policy for it. And a lot of our program staff are people of color and they experience that a lot. And it is just, how do you, how do you unpack that? So it's one thing to um, have a racial slur thrown at you. Um, and just, let's say an ordinary setting, like an ordinary public setting, it's very different when it is um, a client, someone who's experiencing homelessness, just spewing slurs and profanity at you. Um, and then you have to immediately get back into work mode. Um, that is an incredibly traumatic experience. And in our conversation, um, a, a number of staff shared their experiences and the challenges they faced um, dealing with that kind of uh, malignment on, in the workplace and how we can all work together as a community of staff here at the Boulder Shelter to make this a safe space for our employees um, because that is the most important thing. Um, and so another aspect of this job is making sure that we're okay. Um, taking time for ourselves, assessing our mental and emotional well-being because um, if you're burnt out, if you are exhausted, you can't do this job. And so that is something that folks really take extremely seriously here. Um, and that's just the nature of the social work aspect of, of working at the shelter. No, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's also something that I don't think um, a lot of people like think about is just, but that's why we talk about intersectionality a lot on this podcast is also because, you know, you can be part of different um, minority groups or um, just, uh, just marginalized groups that, um, you know, combine together to make your life even harder. And so, um, <laughs> you know, I can't even imagine having to, to try to even make sure you're safely, um, uh, um, working with a client while also being, you know, <laughs> just hate crime at the same time. It's, it's really confusing, I bet. So um, thank you for sharing that. Um, we, we are running out of time and I have countless questions, but you have covered like more than, you know, I even expected you to cover. So thank you so much for all that information. It was really, really helpful. And actually personally, like I, like I can honestly say that I really am going to look more into what I can do um, and maybe even volunteer in different areas around me. Um, and try to get some of my friends to do the same thing. So I really, really um, am glad that you're doing this work um, and I admire it a lot. And thank you so much for you know taking the time out of your day and your busy schedule to even talk to me. So I appreciate it. Of course. And please, Lamise, if you have any other questions or if you'd just like to take a tour of the shelter, some of your friends, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, as a woman of color, I kind of landed here in a very strange turn of events, um, but I am more than happy to share my story and any resources that I can help provide um, for the next generation of folks. So it was great chatting with you and uh, hope to hear from you soon. Thank you. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Bye.